Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pat, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Our players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on Twitter, at Jordan C. Maui, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls. On Instagram as well, at Locked On Bulls. I'm your host, Jordan Maui. Along with me is Matt Peck. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line at 331-979-1369. Drop all your voicemails, your text messages, anything you got for us. Got thoughts on the games this weekend. Got Pistons doubleheader tonight and Sunday, similar to what we saw last weekend against the Hawks. Got any of your thoughts from any of the episodes this week? Kind a lot going on. Big Sixers win. Michael Reinsdorf interview. Want to hear your thoughts, so hit us up, 331-979-1369. Happy Friday to you, Matt. Had an interesting follow-up interview that we'll get to for Michael Reinsdorf dropped from The Athletic this morning, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Talk about uh, LeBron passing Michael Jordan, which we did not get to on yesterday's episode, but first and foremost, how you doing on this Friday? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Uh, doing all right. Happy Friday to you. Looking forward to... Uh uh, the weekends, which, you know, I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited about this forecast. We might hit some 40s over the weekend. Woo! I'm ready. I'm ready for it, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's kind of crazy that we have, after our Atlanta Hawks weekend last week, with a Friday and a Sunday home and home, we are now facing uh, the exact same situation with another Easter Conference team, uh, our, our Central Division rival Pistons, who have been playing really well of late and who have beaten the Bulls twice so far this season. So we'll see if uh, if the Pistons get a clean sweep or if the Bulls are able to at least take one of these games coming up over the weekend. Yeah, let's talk about them really fast. Over the last five games, the Pistons have been playing pretty decent, man. Four and one in their last five. They would, Dude, not just the last five. They've won nine of their last 11. <sighs> Damn. Andre Drummond picking it up, too, over the last, what, six weeks, too? I mean... Mm-hmm. NBA heads that listen to our show and also follow the NBA on a regular basis. Like the Zach Lowe, the Low Post podcast is a must listen, but for the more casual NBA fans or just people who like to specifically follow the Bulls, he was bagging on Andre Drummond maybe back at the beginning of January, more specifically on the Bill Simmons podcast. And then I don't know if Andre Drummond heard him or not, but picked his game up over the last six weeks, man. What can we say about this Pistons team? What should we expect from a team that we haven't seen in probably, what, a couple months and a team that we the Bulls played well at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a while. I think like Pistons was like game two of the of the season, and then we played them again 
uh, like maybe a month after that. But it was like shortly right, right after. Right, haven't, haven't played them in a long time. This Bulls team is uh, a lot different, looks a lot different, plays a lot differently than the last time they they faced the Pistons. So we, you know, we might surprise them a little bit. But of course, I'm sure if uh, you know Casey's been doing his job, they know everything about the changes the Bulls have made since the last time they played them, and and they're gonna they're gonna adjust. Um, it, it's interesting that in this crazy hot streak that they've had, you know, Blake Griffin's actually been not quite as dominant as he was earlier this season. I mean, it's, you know, I, I was talking to uh, Locked on Pistons host Matt Shook about it when I went on uh, with him for uh, today's episode of Pistons. You should check that out, too, by the way. Talking about Blake Griffin is one of the more under-the-radar players just having a phenomenal season. Um you know, not only averaging whatever it is, like 25, 26 points a game and, you know, uh, close to 10 boards, but also like five and a half assists per game. Blake's been lights out, but it's, it, you know, it is odd that in this recent winning streak that they're on, he's been, uh, you know, n- not necessarily playing awfully. He's just like, he hasn't shot the ball particularly well recently, uh, and he's taken on a lesser role. But you saw in their win against Minnesota on Wednesday night, Andre Drummond, the guy you had just mentioned, poured in like 31 points their their bench is playing really well recently um Luke Kennard has been chipping in a lot of the scoring you know they still have Ish Smith doing a lot of things Ish Smith who wrecked the Bulls in one of those games earlier this season so I mean they are a team clearly fighting for playoff positioning in the east right now uh you know they'll probably end up somewhere between six seven and eight uh and you know who knows which of those top teams in the East they would rather see in the playoffs. But you got to imagine they are going to try to win as many games as possible down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I I think the Bulls will give them a better game this time around, certainly than than earlier this season, just because this Bulls team operates a lot better than they did back then. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You mentioned Ish Smith. It's funny thinking about Ish Smith. I think he's a free agent coming up this summer. He's, if I can remember from my memory vaguely and I believe me I don't watch a whole lot of Pistons games it seems like Detroit fans don't even watch a whole lot of Pistons games sorry shots fired there but I mean they can't even I I, we felt bad for him a couple months ago when we were talking about Blake Griffin and felt kind of bad for him where he went to that city superstar in that city and can't even get fans to come out when they were a borderline playoff team but looking at their stats right now man they're shooting 40.8% on 36 attempts over these 11 games. I'm a little worried that the Bulls, if they don't come out and stop the Pistons tonight from three, you could see a long night, especially the way the Bulls have shot from three over these last two games against the Pacers and the 76ers. They got bailed out from... Just awful. They, yeah, they got bailed out from from outscoring both teams in the paint and were able to keep things close, but... I don't know if I can imagine them doing that the same thing against Drummond and Griffin again tonight. And Markinen and Lopez are going to have to play exceptionally well against both of those guys to keep them in it, especially with how well they've been shooting from three. Drummond and Griffin both, 21.8 and 21.1 points per game on Drummond's sixty, almost 60% shooting and Blake Griffin's 45% shooting. So... It's going to be tough. This is going to be a tough two games for the Bulls, but, you know, 
talk about it again for those for those looking for those tank wins. I mean, I guess you're gonna breathe a sigh of relief, but this this shit bulls for a teams for a team that's red hot and knocking every lifeless chance for teams like the Hornets in Orlando and the Heat who are scrapping to get that eight seed now coming down to the last what. 17 18 games of the season yeah and you know to your point about trying to maybe narrow that gap of the last couple of games the Bulls have played and how poorly they've shot behind the three-point line uh and getting blown out in in that category and you know that that threat will be there for for Detroit I mean hopefully you just see the Bulls shoot a little bit better themselves and that will be part of what can narrow that gap because as you mentioned the the last couple of games I think like combined like 10 of 50 or something like that behind the three-point line which is like woefully bad you you, it's a it's uh, astonishing that the Bulls were able to stay in those games with how badly they shot the ball and the other thing to me when you're talking about Blake Griffin and and Drummond is those guys can both operate you know down in the post very effectively as well we have recently seen Robin Lopez become a more consistent rim protector and shot blocker and for all the attention that Markkanen has gotten for his great offensive upswing over the past month or so and the ways that he is operating uh, efficiently all over the court on the offensive end I think we've also seen some pretty noticeable strides of improvement from Markkanen on the defensive end as well with what he's been able to do protecting the rim blocking shots you know guarding some of the you know some of the tougher assignments and some of the big powerful guys uh who who do most of their work in the post you know obviously we we had Wendell Carter Jr for both of these first two games against Detroit earlier on in the season and I think if I recall correctly he had one really good game and one really bad game where he got into foul trouble no Wendell this time around and you wonder if you'll see continued uh you know continued evidence that Rolo and Markkinen are both better defensively than they were earlier on this year because they're gonna have their hands full with those two guys Matt I'm so glad you brought that up because I uh I bring you some relief and some positivity because I've got an absurd an absolutely absurd Robin Lopez defensive impact stat for you ready for it hell yeah hit me with I don't know if you're ready for it because this is just I'm ready for it look at defended field goal attempts and they look at guys and they track them to see what shots they're actually defending. And while they don't do this for every single game, they've got the last six games Robin Lopez played in. And this is specifically at the rim. So the last six games, Robin Lopez has the second best defended field goal percentage in the NBA. 39.5% guys are shooting against him. That is absurd. That is absolutely absurd. Yeah. That low of a percentage? That's nuts. To put this kind of into perspective, defended field goal percentage is somewhere in the range of anywhere between 53 and 65%. That's usually pretty good. Right. Yeah. Robin Lopez has 13 blocks on the 38 shots against him in these six games. That's a block percentage of 43% in these six games. He's blocking 43% of the shots attempted in, in six games. Right, which which is a ridiculous uh, percentage. 
Like, and it, it's awesome that we're suddenly seeing this from Rolo, who, as you you know, as you were prefacing those stats, said is not a guy who's known for for his rim protecting ability and and his shot blocking ability. So I wouldn't expect that to continue. Like those numbers will fall as Rolo continues to play big minutes for this team down the stretch of the regular season. Um, but even to have a stretch of games where. Even for however, what, how many games in that span, Jordan, of, of what you just put the stat of of his uh, opponent field goal percentages? Just six games. And so even if you extend it out six to games. nine games or ten games, it's just this stretch he's been playing ridiculous. And like you said, too, right. this is this is like this is an anomaly for Robin Lopez. This is just this is a complete outlier. Well, yeah, because but, like, and like in two of the games in within that six game stretch, I think in over two games, he had like, you know, eight blocks. Which is insane. Yeah. And that's not a that's not a part of Robin Lopez that that people usually come to expect about the the strengths of his game. Uh, you know, I I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, maybe he just has been feeling really confident and reinvigorated with the fact that he's playing a bigger role for this team recently since Wendell went down and because. Felicio is completely unusable um, but I mean whatever it is it's been really fun to see because we always talk about Rolo being one of the most liked guys on this roster a great veteran a great leadership guy a great personality but that's kind of it, it used to be that that's all he was right then he wasn't doing a whole lot for you on the court now he's doing a whole lot for them on the court and he's still the same lovable guy so that's why I think you've started to hear more and more Bulls fans talk about whether or not they should bring him back and the fact that people are very glad that they despite some people saying you should give Rolo a buyout if he wants to buy out let him go play for a contender he didn't get he, he didn't take a buyout apparently didn't want a buyout and now everybody's like like Rolo is the king of Chicago right now it's true but I had to give him credit there because it was just it was absolutely absurd and just you know seeing him block the the amount of shots he did against Memphis and then do it against the Hawks and you know here and there too over these last few games it feels like he picks up two or three blocks a game and has just been playing with a different edge on the defensive side like I have never seen him do in a Bulls uniform so credit to him and like I said before defensive impact is great and the NBA doesn't track every single game which kind of stinks because this is cool to look at it, it's cool to see what shots they're actually going up and defending uh, just to round out the top five, though, in these six games, first is Jared Allen. Robin Lopez comes number two. Derek Favors, number three. Dario Sarge, number four. Mitchell Robinson, number f- Pretty decent list, though. So credit to Robin Lopez. Like you said, though, this isn't going to last. It's just it adds to the factor of how phenomenal Robin Lopez has played over the last 15 right. games. It's like... Peak Robin Lopez is peak Robin Lopez in all facets of his game at the same time, which, you know, what are the odds of that happening? But it's really awesome that it is happening. We got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls. When we come back, we've got two conversations and maybe a couple more on deck. We're going to talk about LeBron passing Michael Jordan on the all-time scoring lists. Going to follow up with the conversation for Michael Reinsdorf did another interview that dropped this morning with The Athletic. We'll talk about that. Take a few of your text messages before we get out of here for the weekend. You can hit us up, 331-979-1369. 
text and voicemail line. Drop us your voicemails, your text messages, whatever you got for us. Hit us up, 331-979-1369 on Twitter as well, at Locked On Bulls. Stay with us. Be back in 60 seconds. Back here on Locked On Bulls. Mad. Before we get to the LeBron conversation really fast, I forgot to mention this to you, but beyond all of our excitement, it clouded my my one point about the Sixers win that I found very, very weird, very strange, and maybe it's just the way that the NBA is sometimes where time seems to repeat itself sometimes, but that Sixers game was almost identical to what we saw late against the Timberwolves almost a year ago, specifically when it comes to Jimmy Butler and Zach Levine late in that fourth quarter. You know, they, them going back and forth, back and forth, it coming down to the stretch where Zach Levine comes in, hits the final shot, takes the game over. Jimmy Butler is asked to be the guy, takes the final shot in the final possession. He did the same thing against with the Timberwolves a year ago, you know, Zach Levine even drew the foul at the three-point line last year again with the Timberwolves, hit all three free throws. Jimmy had an opportunity to take a three at the end. Similarly on the other nights, Jimmy had the final possession. That didn't go his way. Zach draws up the final play. He scores the final bucket. It all just kind of was identical to what we saw. And I just found it very odd, very bizarre. It was like being in the twilight zone of what we saw. And more specifically, too, is like Zach Levine stepped up and went off in the fourth quarter as opposed to Jimmy kind of struggled. Jimmy was one for six, I believe, with the Timberwolves in that loss. And then similarly, again, struggled in the 76ers to produce in that fourth quarter. So it was kind of strange seeing that, although... Jimmy and Zach's numbers against each other in both of these games are fairly similar, but fourth quarters, Zach stepped up, Jimmy Jimmy did not. He kind of struggled, so I just found it very, very Twilight Zone-ish. Eh, you know, small sample size. More credit to Zach than it is an indictment on Jimmy is my point here. Right, absolutely. With that, though, let's uh, head to our bigger conversation here. So, LeBron... Showtime Lakers, he passes our our king here in Chicago for fourth all-time on the scoring list. And Matt, I'll be honest with you, we said this yesterday, it was a bit depressing, man. It was like as if LeBron thought the whole game was going to shut down. You know, he made that bucket, he did a couple fist bumps, he stopped, and then none of his teammates came over to celebrate with him right away and then it took Alex Caruso to come over and and congratulate him before anything else happened it was just very bizarre and I think everything that has led up in the past couple of weeks kind of overshadowed right. this moment and it was a good moment for LeBron but and it was just it's very very bizarre some you know somebody put on Twitter the video of back when Kobe um made that leap um on the all-time scorers list, he did it in a home game. The Lakers were on the road, so there is that difference. But, I mean, Kobe, they, like, stopped the game. Everybody gave him a standing ovation. He took the game ball. Like, it was, like, a much bigger deal. Um, but, you know, Kobe was a, a Lakers lifer. 
um, and did all of that and scored all of those points in Lakers jersey. This is LeBron's first year with the Lakers. It's not going well. Um, oh, and by the way, all those, you know, the teammates you mentioned not really making a big deal out of it. Well, those are the same teammates that LeBron tried to trade away like a month ago, and they all don't get along right now. LeBron is just giving us example after example after example of his not give a fuckness about this season. And maybe he didn't expect to be good enough to, to actually get this team to the playoffs and make a playoff run this year. Or maybe he did, but when he figured it out, he just completely gave up trying. The, you know, another, you know, the where he just was letting the ball roll, doing the whole clock saving thing, but then he just let it roll out of bounds <laughs> for a turnover. Like throwing the ball off the backboard and on an inbounds play, the, you know, his, his, his young teammate having to essentially throw LeBron's body out to contest a three. All of these things that we've seen over the last few weeks that suggest that LeBron is way more concerned about Space Jam 2 and his growing business empire in Los Angeles than he is about playing basketball for Los Angeles. It, it, it all just kind of put a huge dud of a mood around what was, you know, even saying this as a pretty staunch LeBron hater... In a, a momentous career achievement. And it, all of that just muddied the moment because nobody in L.A. is having fun right now. LeBron's teammates don't like him. LeBron, or, you know, Lakers fans are disappointed, unimpressed, and sick of LeBron already. And it just was like, it could have been a big, great moment. It obviously means a lot to LeBron based on the comments we've heard him say about what it means to pass MJ on that list. But... The bigger story is how much of a failure his first year in L.A. has been. I have about zero sympathy for Lakers fans. Zero. None. Zilch. Zip. I I just, I have none, you know? So, uh, Bulls fans have suffered uh, for a long time. It's been over 20 years since MJ and... You know, they'll point back at, at all Bulls fans and said, oh, you had the 90s, you know, what are you guys crying about? Yeah, well, you guys just have, you guys get players that walk in every two years to sign with you guys. You guys have had great player after great player, so I have zero sympathy for any Lakers fans who are disgruntled and upset. How, how many times have they missed the playoffs ever in franchise history, right? Isn't, it, isn't this going to be the sixth time that they've missed the playoffs in a row? And they've something and they've like only that. missed yeah. the playoffs what six times in their their history or something like that. So I just to me I have no sympathy for that. But back to LeBron for a second. Nor nor I nor I. And I you know I think that like the Lakers fans who aren't moved by what LeBron just accomplished, like you know what why should they care? Because he scored all those points for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Miami Heat. Right. You know, yes, okay, the the last the last few hundred of them or whatever it was, he did score in a Lakers jersey this season, but did so while causing all sorts of tor- turmoil, causing rifts in the locker room, once again m- identifying himself as a coach killer because Luke Walton hasn't been fired yet, but recent reports say that he's as good as gone once this season is over. Uh, you know, LeBron focusing on his business more than his basketball, all these things like you know, I don't have any sympathy for Lakers fans, but I also don't blame them for not loving LeBron so far. I just thought it was weird. It was not how I expected that that night to go, that moment to go, and I don't think that's how LeBron expected it to go. 
you know, that's why I was saying, like, he looked around like as if the Lakers had something prepared. And that's what made it kind of weird, too, you know? It's like he looked around and was like, oh, are they going to stop this? Are we going to have a presentation? Like, am I going to give a speech to the fans real quick? Like, for the first time, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but he realized I'm not in Cleveland anymore. And how many times do you actually say that in your life when you're LeBron James, right? When you're out in Los Angeles? Like, man, that was just, it was just strange. He did it to himself. Everything that led up to this. My question now is, how many of those young players are going to demand a trade after this season? Are going to want out of this situation, regardless of of if they can acquire a star or not? If there is still any potential that they could be a championship contending team, how many of those dudes are just like, you know what? I don't. I, I could care less. I, I get it. It's the Lakers and playing in Los Angeles is great. Living in LA is great, but I can't do this for another three years and and waste the prime of my career. I want out now. How many of those dudes do you think are contemplating that with the last 18 games of the season? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, people think that playing with LeBron is a good idea because whatever team LeBron is on is going to go far. And that whole theory came crashing down this season because, again, what happened? LeBron moved from the east to the west. Turns out LeBron, as he's aging, and everybody says, you know, he's doing all these amazing things and father time hasn't caught up to LeBron yet. And well, this season he suffered one of the more significant injuries and missed a significant amount of games, uh, you know, compared to the other, you know, the, the longevity and, and health of his season it was a big one. And is whether it's still a, a nagging groin injury or his just you know, levels of, of exhaustion from all of these years of making deep playoff runs and playing all these games, certainly on the defensive end, looks to have clearly slowed down. Um, yeah. and, and so now, between that and going to a much more competitive conference, the whole, well, just jump on LeBron's team and you're going to get yourself a deep playoff run theory just flat out doesn't exist anymore. They're going mi- not, to... Not only do they find themselves looking up you know in the standings they find themselves looking up at the eighth seed and are what like they're like six and a half games back of the eighth seed like they're done they're done and for as much attention as LeBron gets like the dude has his own gravitational pull that's how big of a star he is between that and the way that there is this sentiment that he operates the team. He controls everything. He is the coach and the GM and the president and the owner and like all of these levels. When you're LeBron's teammate, you, you probably, if you're not winning, you get sick of that a lot faster. If you're winning, you say, all right, well, I can put up with Le- the LeBron entourage and LeBron being LeBron and LeBron being the puppet master of all of this because at least I'm playing on a winning basketball team. But when you have to deal with those elements of who LeBron is as an NBA figure and your team isn't winning, like, where where is the fun? To me, it's like, it's all bad. It's all misery. So, yeah, I would expect this Lakers team to look a lot different next season, and we'll see what they can do in free agency. Um, Obviously, their big plan to pressure the Pelicans into sending over Anthony Davis failed miserably, and now LeBron's teammates all hate him. 
<laughs> so that's where they're stuck right now. Uh, can't wait to see how the offseason unfolds because there are a lot of free agents in play, including like big all-star level talents. Who wants to go play with LeBron? That's what I can't wait to find out. Jimmy Buckets? <laughs> I'm not even kidding either. I think Jimmy's going to go to the Clippers. Join, join Kawhi? I think Jimmy's going to go to the Clips. Yeah, maybe. Because you, you, know you know Jimmy wants to go to Hollywood. And I think that that Philly team is going to crash and burn in the playoffs. I really do. And Embiid, it, it's, and it's all going to be relying on Embiid's health, too. Like He's got to be able to stay healthy, man. Right. I do like that 76ers team. But guess what? If if the if the Sixers don't crash and burn in the playoffs, it will be because Simmons and Embiid play better than they did in last year's playoffs and really come into their own. And that will anger Jimmy Butler, who always wants to see himself as 1A on his team. Guess what? The Sixers aren't Jimmy's team. The Sixers are Embiid and Simmons' team. Yeah, where they need clutch Jimmy. And we haven't seen Clutch Jimmy in a while. And it's only been, and when we do, it's only been in stretches of two or three games here or there. And that was right at the beginning of the season, or right at the beginning of his tenure with the 76ers. So nonetheless, but that'd be interesting if mm-hmm. he went to the Clippers. I, I really do think it's going to be interesting to see where Kawhi goes. I think I'm holding out fact that I think he, he's going to go to the Clippers. I think it was a nice run in Toronto, but... I still think he's got his eyes set on L.A. And they've got enough money to to float around. So let's move on, though. Let's get to Reinsdorf's follow-up with The Athletic. Stefan No talked to Reinsdorf about not only the conversation he had and the story he did on the fan piece that he did about, you know, the feedback and the negativity and all the stuff that he gets via email and phone calls, but also did... Um, sort of a follow-up on Casey Johnson's interview that he had earlier this week, just talking about the state of the Bulls and the whole, I called it uh, the State of the Union address from Michael Reinsdorf as far as the Bulls go. Um, Matt, we don't, have to, we don't have to go question by question because we did that earlier this week and I felt like for the most part, the majority of the answers were similar to what we read on Tuesday, I believe, mm-hmm. but let's let's pull the main let's pull the main points that we got from this what did you take away overall that was new from this interview today uh well one that made me just just about lose my mind was Reinsdorf admitting that as recently as four years ago the bulls analytics department was all of one guy one guy like Reinsdorf says this anecdotally when the question was, what would you say to critics that the Bulls front who say the Bulls front office is understaffed? And he said, I firmly believe that we are staffed really well um, with the Bulls. It's not about cutting costs. John Gar, his staff, they're able to cover the college games for us scouting. Um, and so he's, he go he went on to say. This was like four or five years ago. I work. I walk into Steve Wyman's office. He's working on one computer. I said, Steve, you're our analytics person. Why don't you have like four screens here? And he was new. And I said, okay, Steve, let's get you set up. We expanded his staff this year. We added people. So four years ago, the Bulls analytics department was one guy who was a new hire. So the Bulls started their analytics department four years ago with one guy and then instead of adding more help michael reinsdorf added him more computer screens 
and then didn't hire more people onto their analytics staff until this year, four years later. What in the actual fuck is that about? See, I don't know if that means necessarily he was the only guy on the analytics team. His, the quote is, Steve, you're our analytics person. Singular. Yeah, but that could mean he's the head of analytics. Like, that just might be a, 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 the way he phrased it. I, maybe. So, I, I don't know. I would have, We'd have to go back and look at what their analytics team was prior to that. But... The, the thing that I pulled from that was the 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 comment, Steve, you're our analytics person. Why don't you have like four screens here? I just I had to I had to chuckle and laugh at there. I almost spit my coffee out reading that. I I thought that was kind of funny. Out of all things to say about right? the the job of the analytics like, team, like oh oh we need to get you more screens. <laughs> but the the whole thing with the the screens thing was just. It was just a bizarre comment. Um, a couple other things that I had was, uh, you know, they they do an awful lot of a lot of explaining Gar and Pax's job descriptions. Mm-hmm. You know, Gar reports to John. I like to refer John as the CEO and Gar as the COO, and then it's like two paragraphs of that. I feel like we get that at every press conference or every interview. I don't need a description of their job, their job titles anymore. I we I, we get yeah. it. Like we know what their jobs are. But see, and I think that's the so. thing, and, and that's kind of how Stefan uh, prefaced the question is that Michael Reinsdorf said when he was talking to Casey for the Trib earlier this week that he doesn't understand and doesn't necessarily like the Garpax nickname. And how the fan base seems to lump them together because they have different responsibilities and different jobs. And they are, two, in fact, two different people, which is something that I have said on this podcast multiple times. I hate the nickname, too, um, because guess what? If you were to to say to me, all right, Matt, well, you can get rid of one of these guys or which guy are you less impressed with, uh, less impressed by with their job performance? Clearly, I would rather see Gargo than John. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um so I understand that, you know, you're saying, why do we have to keep talking about who these guys are and what their job you know, titles are and what goes into their day to day operations of whose job is what? I get it because clearly a lot of the fan base is still stuck on the idea that they are one in the same person. He said that, but then he followed it up with the other tandems in Chicago and I nearly fell out of my seat when I started to read Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and I was like yeah, dude you want to get I thought people of you really as I mad? read that <laughs> and I had to keep reading because I almost stopped and I almost I almost had a heart attack and then I saw him mention the Cubs and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and I was like okay he kept he kept going so I was like okay at least he did that I was like he didn't stop at just Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn I was like he was gonna make a lot of other Chicago fans in this city really angry if he, he just stopped there. Um, but I just thought that was kind of interesting, kind of weird. I don't know. So this is in reference to Gar Foreman taking a backseat to John as being the public speaker now for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. This was just bizarre, too. And said it's really been... And, like, Stefan Noe was trying to ask him, like, why? Like, what was the reasoning behind this? Like, we all knew, but they were trying to get, like, an honest answer about this and just be kind of open about it. And it was... 
it's really been that way for a while. I just think it's it wasn't necessarily clear to the public, but he's taken a very active role for some time now. Well, duh, we've seen that. I just think that was kind of a, I don't know, maybe it wasn't a shot, but I felt like that that was kind of a shot at the fan base, like acting like didn't understand something. Like, we get it. We understand that that he wasn't very good at talking to the media. Yeah. And that's why he was removed and Paxson was back in front of the mics again. So I just... Well, and, you know, that's like, obviously, some element of that, I believe, was that Gar was more hated by the fan base than John. And Gar is not very good at expressing his thoughts. Um and, you know, was putting his foot in his mouth time and again anytime he talked to the media. So I think there was some kind of conversation that involved the Reinsdorfs to say, all right, John, like, we know that you've been just kind of working in the background and focusing on big picture stuff, but we we want you to come talk to the media again. And that's, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily care who's who's talking to us. Right. Um, because as much as it was enjoyable in a self-deprecating kind of way to hear Gar put his foot in his mouth over and over and over again, I I don't know. I feel slight. I feel a little bit differently about just, for example, the recent episode where Paxson got really upset on his recent interview with 670 and was getting very defensive. Um, it like It's all bad. Anytime we hear from either of those guys, Bulls fans just roll their eyes out of their heads. And some of it is valid, the eye rolling, and some of it is not. But it's just like, dude, it doesn't matter to me who's talking to the media and who's explaining where we are in this rebuild and who's, you know, who's explaining what this trade, that signing, this what, you know, this draft pick. I don't care because either way, we're going to have serious questions about what was said. We're going to feel very apathetic about lots of what was said. And we are going to continually say, how the heck are these guys still employed? It, it's, you know, it's a, it's a cyclical pattern. So to me, asking Reinsdorf, who clearly is not good at differentiating between these two guys, while complaining about how the fan base can't differentiate between these two guys, that was the really funny thing to me, is that, like, he, he was trying to say, just recently in the KC interview, I don't understand why the fan base gets these guys confused and why they're called Garpax. I mean, just let me read you this one paragraph as part of his response to Stefano's question about the two men and the differentiation of their roles. Quote, I like to refer to John as a CEO type and Gar is more like a COO type. John is there to help develop the vision. He's there for the big picture items. He's also at the same time very involved in scouting too. It's a little blurred from that standpoint. He scouts a lot. He'll go to college games a lot. That's something he does. And obviously, Gar does that more. So he's basically saying that Paxson does this thing. Oh, but Gar does that too. And, and, and Gar does this thing. Oh, but John does that too. And even said that it's blurry as to who does what job. So, so, so when Michael Reinsdorf says, I don't know why the fan base is so infatuated with calling these guys Garpax, it seems like you also are not very clear on whose job responsibilities are where. Right. And even as recent as the trade deadline, remember when Gar was supposed to come out and speak by himself and then John joined him? Right. Exactly. It, it's as recent as a month ago. So I'm not going to get upset about it again because it's just, it's not worth the time anymore. But 
you know, to not just make this all negative, I thought there was some good comments in here too. Some things that I did pull, specifically about Boylan. Stephen No asked him about a contract extension, asked him about, you know, beyond the one that people supposedly thought he got at the beginning of the his tenure, which he didn't. Um, asked him if he was if if anything changed if they were going to run a coaching search. Obviously, the answer didn't change from what we heard from Tuesday, almost word for word. Beyond that, though, he asked him an interesting question and said, "Has Boylan ever complimented you on your spirits?" And this is where, again, we we got we got Michael Reinsdorf to open up a little bit about who Boylan is. And for every joke we make about the passion and the spirit of Boylan, this dude is true to who he is, man. And, you know, he, he is the guy who we see in every press conference and every media scrum and everything that he, he continues to, to talk about after every game and after during every pregame. The funny thing that Michael Reinsdorf brings up is he says, he uses the he uses those words because he wants the players in the entire organization to care. He wants everyone to care as much as he does. His give a shit factor is really high. He really cares. Matt, we need to find out if the if NBA stats can start figuring out a way to track a give a shit factor for coaches because that needs to be a new metric thanks to Jim Boylan because that yeah. is just that Here is it on is. brand. It's it's really simple on the give a shit scale. A zero score is LeBron James, <laughs> and a ten score is Jim Boylan. There's your scale right there. Put it in Bulls perspective of the last couple of years. A give a shit factor would be Dwayne Wade at zero. Okay, Z- zero. Yeah, yeah. D Wade and or Jabari Parker is the zero give a shit factor. Jim Boylan is the ten give a shit factor. You could even put maybe Ryan Archidiakno at ten if we're talking about in game. Oh man! Oh, absolutely. That's pretty no, funny. That no, Ar- Archie is the Spinal Tap. These go to eleven scale factor of on the give a shit scale. I thought that was a pretty funny way to describe it, though. But a serious, another serious note, though. It, continuing with this whole thing, he kind of spinned off and said this, which I thought was important. He's really embraced the fan connection too. Before the games, the NBA encourages us to do meet and greets with the fans and players. He turned to me and said, Mike, I love that idea. This gives our players an opportunity. We're trying to grow them as men. This will give them an opportunity to understand how important our fans are to this organization and how much winning to Chicago means to us in connecting with them. And so now before games, we're taking different fans down there for meet and greets. Yesterday, we had a season ticket holder cocktail party and Jim came a little before before 6.15 with a few players, spoke to the crowd and had them take pictures. I love the fact that he wants to connect with the entire organization. He's not walled up in his office just thinking about basketball. He's thinking about what's right for the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bulls family. That means a lot to me. You know, outside the cocktail party with the, the Bulls season ticket holders, I think there's there's something more to this. You know, credit to Boylan for actually caring about this and it goes back to the give a shit factor you know I think back to the Adam Silver's comments just maybe about a week or two weeks ago in talking about the importance of mental health for the players around the league and what he's seeing and how alarming that is of a lot of guys not seeming like they're happy and being isolated and that being a huge problem with modern day NBA players and I think that's one thing that's really positive about Boylan is he's trying to get these guys to realize what a privilege it is to be a pro athlete in all the aspects 
of how great it can be to be an NBA player every day and all the different things that go into it. And, you know, it, it took some time, but I, I, I got to give him credit for this side of it too because there's some coaches like like that's saying right here that are just walled up in their, their office and don't care about any of the, the other stuff that goes along with this. And so I mean, I'll give him credit for that. Fine. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to give him a whole lot of credit for that. Um, I, not not that I don't uh, like the sentiment to say you know that Jim is is really passionate about getting the his players to connect to the fan base because he wants them to know how important connecting with the fan base is. You know that that's that's all well and good, but I I I don't buy the fact that Jim Boylan cares about that exponentially more than the average NBA coach. I think NBA coaches know that a part of the job of their players and even them to some extent, even though they are, you know, other than a few exceptions, wildly less popular than the players themselves. Part of the job is interacting and reaching out to the fan base and the community that your team, you know, uh, is is a part of. So to me, that's just lip service. I'm not denying that that is a element to how passionate Jim Boylan is and who he is as a person but to me it's it's not something that I find to you know to be like wildly impressive it's like oh you you took some of your players to a a meet and greet cocktail hour with some Bulls fans cool that's probably part of the job like I you know to me that wasn't that didn't stand out as something overly impressive that's fair and maybe that's just looking at this as an isolated situation I look at it in a bigger picture of just some of the other comments that maybe Robin Lopez has made and you know, just a few other people over the last month or so, you know, on a daily basis, trying to get these guys to connect as a team and come together. And they've come a far way from that player mutiny. And I'm not saying to, to discard everything that's happened at the beginning or the weaknesses of Jim Boylan's X's and O's as a coach or some of this other stuff that we've said that's kind of ridiculous off the wall stuff but I think this is important and this is what I I like as as an NBA coach as somebody that actually cares about this and like I go back to the Adam Silver comments I think are huge and important parts of uh, of today's game and when your commissioner is coming out and telling you that players going in the locker and putting their headphones on and feeling isolated and not happy like that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem your your entire league could start facing. And if your coach is trying to get all of your guys to buy in, hang out, do things in the community and start connecting with your fans a little bit more, it's those little steps. Even if he's not around next year or the year after that, maybe it's it's this foundation that he's starting to build even if he's not here beyond that. And maybe I'm looking too deep into it, but I, I like these little things and I've got to give it give him credit when I see these types of things. And maybe I'm maybe that makes me a softie as a fan, but I like it. I like seeing this type of thing from him. That's that's fair. You you have every right to like it. And you know, it is uh it I guess it's it's a good thing to focus on and a good thing to talk about for a team that is desperately trying to remake its image. Right. Like, Agreed. You know, That's they, they, huge. They were talking about that on the jump yesterday, like their lead story on the jump yesterday with Rachel Nichols, uh, Stan Van Gundy and uh, Amin El-Hassan were the other two uh, on the panel about the Bulls surprising victory over the Sixers and the the Otto Porter trade and the fact that the Bulls, although 
showing signs of life are still not going to be a real destination free agent wise. And that's why they made the auto trade. And uh, Amin brought up the point that's like, you know, do the Bulls still have that that stigma? You know, do they still have that uh, league wide perception of for whatever reason? And he said it's not just during the packs and informant years. It goes back to beyond that, where even in the Kraus years, this is the organization that treated the greatest player of all time like he was expendable, who treated the greatest right. coach of all time, Phil Jackson, like an asshole. You know, it's like they have, you know, they have so much loyalty, quote unquote, in house. And it's why John Paxson still has a job. And it's why you heard Reinsdorf talking about culture. And the first thing he said when asked about culture is talking about all the former players that still work within the organization. Wennington and Stacy doing broadcasting. Pete Myers coaching. Paxson front office. Until recently, Randy Brown coaching. Bob Love, Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukoc, all serving as special advisors to ownership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. But sometimes that like loyalty and and like weird level of what our culture is and hearkening back to the old days, NBA players see that and are not impressed. NBA players see other things said about how this organization Despite the overarching, oh, you know, great organization, first class, Bobby Portis said some of those kinds of things as he was traded, but he also said some some not so nice things about the front office as he was traded. And, and like Reinsdorf, at, you know, just talking about all of these things Reinsdorf said about culture, he went on to talk about Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade. <laughs> really? Right. Like, really? So, yeah, to me... The Bulls have to do everything they can to repair their image because right now across the league, it's not good. I don't know how far Jim Boylan really harping on his players to make an extra effort to reach out to the fan base and to to show their appreciation for a very what is a very passionate fan base. I, I'm not poo-pooing that. I, I'm just wondering how much that can do to, as they were discussing on a national NBA TV show yesterday, how far can something like that go to repair uh, an image that right now isn't great and is keeping most big-name free agents at a safe distance? That's a fair point. That's totally fair. And I think it goes back to your your points when we were talking about the this article similar about a week and a half ago when we were talking about the Reinsdorf and the fan story that Stefan Noe had wrote. And you said, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, kind of eyewash, right? It's like... Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. But my point was, you got to start somewhere, right? And maybe that this is what it is. And for a lot of fans, this will be like, whatever. This is, who cares? This is just another plea for people to come back to the United Center and spend money and do all of those things. But at the same time, like you're saying, maybe this is them trying to set a foundation finally to try and do something and change things. But at the same time, like you said, when culture's brought up, the first thing that's listed off is eight players that are connected and working in the organization. So it's, it's the constant back and forth and the constant contradiction that is constantly caught up with, right. With people involved. It's, it's just, it's crazy. It, it really is. That's why it's so hard. It's, it's so hard to defend things when it's constant contra- contradiction, you know? You never know what to believe. The biggest argument about uh, oh the great culture we have is citing all of the players who, you know, once a bull, always a bull, and, you know, 
at paraphrasing, but Michael Reinsdorf said pretty much that, that sentiment, once a bull, always a bull. Okay, well, yeah, I think for the most part, the fan base enjoys listening to Wennington on radio with Chuck, and I think for the most part, the fan base enjoys Stacy. He's entertaining. Um, you know, the, the special advisors who play those roles, the ambassadors to the team, Tony and Horace and Scotty, everybody loves those guys. The fan base still worships those guys, especially those of us who are old enough to remember the glory days when those guys were out there playing and winning playoff games and winning titles. But one of the guys who is most vitally involved in getting this organization back on track is getting the same loyalty service, that being John Paxson. And to me, like that's where the disconnect exists. When you're talking about repairing your image, not just for free agents across the league, but doing the things to help the the people in the organization reconnect with the fan base and have some kind of connection for for the fan base that isn't hey remember how great we were 20 years ago because that's all the connection is right now for this fan base you through those same lines of our culture is loyalty that is where one of the biggest problems creeps up when you talk about why the fan base doesn't trust you why the fan base is sick of you why the fan base would probably love nothing more for them for the Reinsdorf to sell this team and start over top to bottom start over it's because you are loyal to people who are questionably performing well enough to keep their jobs it's the same loyalty. So to t- to say that that's your culture, okay, well, that's the culture that's making your fan base upset and it's the culture that's keeping big free big name free agents away. Your culture is being stuck in the past and being loyal to people who might not still deserve to have a job. So what kind of culture is that? We got Detroit twice this weekend. Should be an interesting one. Like we said before, like we said last weekend, I think it's going to be similar to it should be an interesting. It should be an interesting weekend again. The Bulls are hot. Detroit is absolutely red hot. So if you're gonna stick around, you're gonna watch tonight's game, and then it's a it's a matinee on Sunday again, similar to the Hawks game. So should be an interesting one tonight at home. If you're going to the game, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. 331-979-1369. Drop us your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us. Hit us up on Twitter as well, at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Valley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. We're streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Valley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 